She says, being privately spiritual but not religious just doesn't interest me. There's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself. What is interesting is doing this work in community where other people might call you on stuff or heaven forbid, disagree with you. I think the when she says there's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself, clearly someone who's never really gotten high. Because, <laughs> because <laughs> trust, trust me, deep thoughts can be very challenging. Can be very challenging at that point. Welcome to episode 237 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverend Ogan Holder and myself, Reverend Brian Burkoff, are joined by special guest Mariah Martin to address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. Uh, I believe also the Reverend Mariah Martin. Let's, let's, I'm ordained, let's... so does She's that ordained. make me a, a reverend? That makes know. you that makes you a reverend and irreverent. Um, <laughs> an so, irreverent reverend. Exactly. Let's put the titles where they belong. So whether yeah. you're a longtime listener or new to the show, you can get even more content, uh, pre and post show banter. Um, become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/PTLive, starting at seven dollars a month. Uh, you can get to hear all that other fun stuff and there's also some merch available for you as well so sign up today patreon.com slash live and as always a big thank you to our current patrons today we'll be discussing potentially new careers new ways of thinking and the importance of community is this new career topic based on the previous conversation we had about you maybe quiet slash loud quitting your job or are we are we still not doing that, Brian? Why don't you wait till we get to it? Touche. <laughs> jumping <laughs> jumping ahead. Jumping ahead. <laughs> Today we are joined by the Reverend uh, Mariah Martin. She is a pastor in the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition and the host of an up-and-coming podcast called Called to be Bad. Uh, She lives in Goshen, Indiana with her spouse, Nick, seven chickens and three rabbits. She loves animals. I think that's apparent. Uh, (laughs) And good coffee. Welcome to the show, Mariah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, this is my very first podcast record, like being a guest on a podcast. I've obviously hosted my own, but this is my first guest. So, wow. Awesome. Yes. We feel so special. Yeah. There you go. Honored. You're going to get the big uh, pub theology life bump. Um, maybe a whole a whole five new listeners to your podcast. <laughs> I'll take them. I'll take them. Come over to the the bad side. The, the bad side. So speaking yeah. of quality bad, yeah. tell us a little bit about this podcast. Uh, who's yeah. on it? Why they're on it? What's the point? And where can folks find it? Yeah. So um, Call to Be Bad, I say, uh, is a podcast where um, a guest reveals a bad topic that they are passionate about. And I say bad with quotation marks um, because I mean bad, like uh, scandalous or taboo, something that goes against the status quo of what it means to be faithful. I call the podcast like faith adjacent. So normally we talk about something adjacent. Yeah, we, we talk about something that's faith related. Um, but it's not, um, I don't know. It's not like shoving the Bible down people's throats or anything like that. The whole, the whole point is to, to talk about, um, the intersections of good and bad, pure and profane, holy, ordinary, um, who comes on, uh, anyone who is brave enough to talk about a bad thing that they're passionate about. Um, we happen to have Ogun on and, uh, we talk, can I say what we talked about? Uh, we can say what we talked about. So I should also mention um, 
you haven't launched season two yet, right? When season Correct. two dro- drop in? Yes, we just finished uh, season one. Um, season two, I don't have a set date yet, but probably okay. in about a month, the beginning of November, we'll launch. And right now we have little mini-sodes um, that I'm calling uh, Bad Thoughts with Mariah, where nice. I just go on and, and talk about things. Um, so there's still content being put out. Um, but okay. yeah, we haven't we haven't released season two yet. But she's recording episodes. I was a yes. guest um, recently, so my episode will be dropping coming up in the future. And mm-hmm. I was I was interviewed on the topic of non-monogamy um, and polyamory because uh, uh, I have personal experience with it. So yeah. uh, I was I was a guest on there, and we we talked some stuff. We talked so much stuff. Apparently, it's going to be two episodes. Yeah, uh, it might be if we it if be. it went long enough, and if there's enough in there. Um, normally the episodes are about, uh, 35 to 45 minutes. And if it's longer, if we recorded longer than 45, I break it into two, two, uh, episodes, two parts. That's a good philosophy. I always used to say this at church. If a meetings are going to run longer than an hour, we need two meetings. Yeah. Um, Or can it just be an email? Can it just like... (laughs) Right? Email, Slack, text, like so many other ways. Uh, Well, welcome again. And thank you for filling in for uh, Shannon, who is currently enjoying anniversary bliss with uh, Derek in an undisclosed location in Mexico. (laughs) They are at an all-inclusive, uh, I think, adults-only resort. So, mm. yeah, we they may not come back ever. <laughs> right. right. They're having a grand time. Uh, let's begin with, uh, what are we drinking today? Starting with you, Mariah, as our guest. What do you got going on? Yeah, I so I was going to get something at our local um, brewery, Goshen Brewing Company. Um, and then I realized that they're closed on Monday, so I didn't get anything. Oh. But I was at Aldi, and so I was like, "Sure, oh, yeah. we'll get some Aldi beer." So I got—I've uh, never tried this before. It's uh, imported from Holland. It just says Holland, uh, 1839. It's a lager beer, which I had to Google. I was like, "What is a lager beer?" I don't know. <laughs> um, nice. And yeah, my husband is uh, half Dutch, and so we went to the Netherlands a couple of summers ago to to visit some of his family. So when I saw Holland, I was like, oh, "Okay, well, we'll try that." So. That's what I'm drinking. There you well, go. Well, well, there you go. And Brian is Dutch adjacent, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, I'm well, fully Dutch. Both my parents were born in the Netherlands, uh, actually. So there, there you go. And you That's, live in Holland, so all. And I live in Holland, stuff. Michigan. So what yeah, can you do? perfect. It's all, like all, I knew. Everything's. <laughs> everything's. It sounds like bad. a Heineken. I bet it's similar. Mm. It's good. All right. What you What are you drinking, Brian? Well, I am uh, drinking something. F- also from Aldi and a neighbor of the Netherlands from Germany. This is a Vernus Gruner Pils legend. So a Pilsner from Germany. And it says on the can, brewing tradition since 1436. Good God. That's crazy. <laughs> I guess they've worked out a style they like. I guess so. Right before uh, Columbus got lost on his way to the... <laughs> On his, on his way to wrecking havoc around the world. Yeah, what do you got, Ogan? Um, um, one of my old standbys, uh, uh, Modelo Negra. I had a, um, I'm visiting friends in Chicago and raided their fridge, and um, and this is what we got. But this is this is one of my longtime standby favorites, uh, Negra Modelo. Um, all right, so yeah, that's what we're drinking. Yeah. Were we cheersing or were you showing off your glass? I mean, well, both. I'm showing off the uh, Pub Theology Live pint glass, which is available to nice. Patreon subscribers. And yep. cheers. It's and good cheers. to have you all together with us. There yeah. we are. I guess I never said where you can find the podcast. Should I say that real fast? Or Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I mean, basically, we're on YouTube as well as wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're also on Instagram and Patreon. Speaking of Patreon. And... Twitter, except for I don't know how to use Twitter. So someone send help and teach me. I mean, I know how to physically use Twitter. I just right. don't know how to do it well. There you so. go. Check it out, friends. Uh, follow Mariah and the podcast Called to be Bad, uh, wherever you find this podcast and other places. Yeah. So on to today's topics. All right. So opening question today. What career or job could you see yourself doing maybe in an alternative life or, you know, something different than you're doing now? What could you see yourself doing? 
I'd love to be a philanthropist. Is that like an official job <laughs> title or, or is like billionaire the job title and then one becomes a philanthropist? Right. I think, yeah, you've got the baseline of being independently wealthy. You, that's a good starting point. Okay. And you, Are you also going to be a vigilante that only goes out at night? Hey, you know, could, could be, I could be, I could be a vigilante philanthropist. I like it. I like it. They should make a movie or a character that's like built off of those. They, they should. Oh my gosh. They should. I will have to work on my costume. Yeah. <laughs> what would you be called? What would you be called? Sorry. I'm still going What would there. I be called? Yeah. Black man, of course. Uh, see, even rhymes with Batman. So I. <laughs> right? Just, just saying. Just saying. Amazing. Amazing. So Ogan, mm. uh, philanthropist, vigilante. Uh, Mariah, what about you? Uh, I have joked before that my not so midlife crisis would be to um, buy land and have a rescue farm. And I would just take all the animals that other people don't want and hang out with them. You're well on your way. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm I'm doing the best I can living in town. But this would be the next step of like having property so I can have chickens, ducks, donkeys. This could still happen. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, this is a real possibility. Yeah, yes. good. Yeah. So an, an animal sanctuary is what you're saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. I would, I would love that. Um, how I would fund that, I don't know. But I've seen people who like have people like sponsor the different animals. Yeah. You could find um, a considered... vigilante philanthropist to help fund it. <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> Amazing. Done. <laughs> love it. Please come into a lot of money. Yeah. Notice the question wasn't how you're going to do any of this. It's just yeah. what. Right. We ain't got a brainstorm now. There you go. Right. There you go. <laughs> what, what about you, Brian? Well, I would probably love to be like a, like a baseball announcer, sports broadcaster mm. kind of thing. I just, I, I love baseball. That. It's October. The playoffs start today. And being a baseball, you know, play by play. Um, or color voice would be, I would love that. That would be a lot of fun. Um, so would you would you prefer to be like one of those people who are like affiliated with a certain team, or you or you want to go like national and just just you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, good question. I think I'll go wherever they'll hire me. Um, <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> Always a good start. I do like the, I, I would like the being with a team because then there's sort of like, you you get to know the team, the players, the the stories and the narrative of the summer and the season, you know, you're sort of there for the, along the ride and you're taking the listeners, you know, along with you on the ride. So I probably like the radio side of it more than TV. Mm-hmm. Because I think baseball over the radio is just goes together um, beautifully. So that that would probably do you, be it. Do you mute the TV while you watch baseball and then narrate it how you would like practice? So I actually. Um, and how does your family feel about to, that? Yeah. When, I, when I'm listening to my team, the Detroit Tigers, uh, I just list. I listen on the radio and I don't watch the games mm-hmm. generally. I don't have cable and so on and so forth um when i'm watching the playoffs then i'm just watching what's on tv um and getting the tv announcers but um see here's the thing though sports for me listen to sports over the radio it's odd because it's such a visual thing right you, you you need to see what's happening in my opinion so it becomes weird when someone's calling plays and then you have to sort of like visualize what's going on in your mind as a that's the to- job of a good announcer. They bring it alive in your mind's eye. I feel that's too much work for me as the listener, though. Right? I just want to sit and enjoy and watch what what's going on. But you're also and, not a baseball guy, right? Well, so I've I've listened to I've listened to live commentary of sports that I like. I've listened to basketball over the radio. I've listened to tennis over the radio. Those are my two main sports. Sure. And for me, they're that there lacks a little of the excitement of in the moment seeing seeing this play happen. I think. Yeah, I mean, this this just this is me. I it, it feels like a visual thing that doesn't translate well, sort of to audio. Kind of like in many ways the reverse of podcasts, right? When you have people engage in discussion, but you watch video and we're just sort of like just sitting around microphones. 
Not did you just convince everyone to like get off and stop listening to us? <laughs> I know he's like, I stop think that's your a no, to stop productive necessarily. Well, <laughs> don't don't judge the podcast by the visual part of it yes. is what I'm saying. Fair. I'll shut up now. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, and you know, I think most people probably consume their sports uh, via. TV or going to actual games in person and radio isn't as popular, obviously, as it was early on when mm-hmm. we didn't have television, there wasn't streaming, etc. But I'm a little nostalgic. I grew up listening to it on the radio. Still love it. All right. When is the last time you changed your mind about a big issue? And what was the issue? And maybe what contributed to you thinking differently about it? I'm going to let our guests go first on this one. (laughs) Thanks a lot. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was hard to to think of something. I think the last thing that I changed my mind about was about abortion, was about, uh, oh, we lost Brian. Is that okay? Should I just keep going? Yeah, just keep going. Okay. He heard abortion and was like, I'm out of here. (laughs) I know. I was like, whoa. yeah, because I remember arguing with my roommates in college, so like like 10, 10 years ago, seven to 10 years ago, um, and my only basis for argument was my what I heard from my mom, who has now also changed her mind and has a more nuanced take, but she works with um, babies in the nursery. She's a neonatal nurse and a lactation consultant. And her line of thinking was, it's not the baby's fault. Why are we, you know... Yeah. Anyways. And so that was like my only argument around abortion. And I was talking with my nurse friend in college and she was kind of pushing back against that. And I can't remember what flipped, um, what changed my mind about it, but it was just like, I was just putting out what I had been told and not thinking critically about it. And then once I was forced to think critically about, uh, abortion, then I, was more nuanced, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And I I think that's obviously a continues to be a very important issue culturally uh, in Mm -hmm. this country. And we just saw, you know, the law landmark law from decades back overturned by the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade. And so it continues to be a contentious issue uh, as people try to grapple with their approach to it. And, you know, I too grew up with a sort of right to life or Mm pro-life viewpoint and it and you know in a way there's sort of an obviousness it seems to that view and that as you said well uh, you know a child is innocent and why are we punishing an innocent party here but obviously it's much more complex nuanced uh conversation and where does life begin and all of those things which actually aren't clearly answered even by scripture or any Mm -hmm. one religious tradition and um for me as well I, i had to learn some things to to change my views on that too. it's not it's not it's not just life it's not just life but but autonomy right yeah when does absolutely when 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 does when does in the in the cycle of of creating that life does does the the fetus the clump of cells the however whatever stage you know um have have rights personhood mm-hmm. is the yeah. issue so it's not about a right to life it's really about a right to personhood is is kind of what the challenge um, ultimately uh, becomes and unfortunately we we we, we want to talk about it under religious terms but it's really been politically it's really a political issue that's been made a religious issue mm-hmm. not the other way around is what i would say but uh, you mentioned something, Mariah, about about your critical thinking, and mm. and that's that's the thing that's coming under fire now. Um, earlier today, recorded um, my, the other podcast I'm on um, with Love and Justice for All, that's um, connected to Project Sanctus, the anti-racism education work I do. We talked about how critical thinking is becoming under fire more and more in schools. And these long established teaching methods like social emotional learning, which has been, you know, part of education for decades and decades and decades is basically, 
it's basically things like problem solving, uh, about um, self-awareness, uh, teaching empathy and collaboration, all of that falls under social emotional learning. It's not necessarily a specific subject, but it's 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 rolled into when teachers are planning their, uh, their classes, right? Um, it's rolled into that. Are, are, are my is my is this lesson plan engaging? Is it is it teaching children about themselves as well as the subject matter that sort of thing? Well, apparently it's been coming under fire now as a Trojan horse for critical race theory, which kind of makes no sense to me. But right. but this is what's happening now. Any any teaching methodology, again, that's been around for like decades and decades that teaching critical thinking is now becoming this like, you know, catchphrase um, for you're, you're now trying to teach critical race theory. And it's, and it's very scary because less and less is there an emphasis on, on, or from the parent's point of view, there's more fear around teaching children how to think critically. Right. and self-examine the issue and self-inquiry and all of that and 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 the irony is the sad irony is that they're claiming indoctrination but that's actually what indoctrination is right when, that's, when that's the irony right when you remove the ability for critical thinking that's when you get indoctrinated yeah yeah well said well said what about you ogan um was the last time I changed my mind about a big issue? Yeah, it was an issue. Um, so, so the two things that come to mind: one, um, actually, actually, the subject of why was the guest on Mariah's podcast around mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. choosing non-monogamy as 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 my relationship style, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think the biggest one more recently than that was was the decision to not be a church pastor mm -hmm. anymore. Like, like that was huge. That was, you know, on the tail end of COVID part of the quote unquote great resignation. But, but like so many people, COVID caused me to question again, back to that self-inquiry and self-awareness really question, why am I, is this the choice for my life that I want to continue? Why did I even choose this in the first place? And more importantly, why why quit wasn't about not wanting to be a minister anymore, but realizing that COVID had really expanded the methodology in which I did church. So it became less, you know, emphasis on the Sunday morning in-house experience and more about how can we be more expansive. And my community wanted to go back to primarily that Sunday in-house experience. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. That really isn't for me anymore. And, you know, all the, all the things that, all the things that come along behind the scenes with being a church pastor and, you know, dealing, dealing with people and the onslaught of everyone's opinions about how I could do my job better. That mm -hmm. kind of really. That's <laughs> real. That's We're, real. That's real. Um, that's real. And and you know when you read the stories of how many clergy for for how many clergy things just got worse during COVID, right? And it really escalated their desire to go like this job was hard enough, but I can't keep doing this at this intensity for the rest of my life. And yeah, it brought about a lot of big changes. And here I am, all this time later, really. Still, while loving what I do, still in that question of, did I did I make them right? Did mm. I make the best choice? Did I was this? You know, there's still some of that second guessing, and for the most part, I usually answer that question with yes, this was the right choice for me. So between that and everything else, it's been this last year or two has really been the year really has really been a lot of upheaval um, but I would say more intentional questions around who do I want to be and how do I want to show up for the second third of my life because I'm going to live to 120 so the second third of my life how do I how do I want to be um, so so yeah that's hmm. that's where I am that's a lot that's a it, lot of transition it was it was it it is I'm still in the, I'm still in You're the midst in of it. it. I'm in it. Yeah. So for, so another thing is like um, also 
really um, reconnecting with my family and place of birth, Barbados. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, I'm going to ride out the winter there, um, starting next month for like four months. I've never, the longest I've been in Barbados since I left to go to college all those many moons ago was like maybe six weeks, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So now I'm moving back for four months, yeah, which I'm very excited and very anxious about. Sure. The reason things work between my mom and I is because of the distance, right? So now it's, it's gonna be this immersion yeah. <laughs> that I don't know I'm really prepared for, but you know, trial by fire. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. How, how, how about you, Brian? Um, other than coming back from sabbatical, I still think you should have just not come back from sabbatical. But ah. just, I'm, I'm a little biased. Were you contracted? Were you contracted to come back and say, well, after we go on sabbatical, we we sign something that say we'll stay for a year after we come back for sabbatical. Yeah, we that was implied. I didn't sign anything, okay. but that was more or less implied. Okay. So you're saying there's still a chance? There's <laughs> no. I'm not- I'm not looking. I'm not kidding. Looking, I'm kidding. Not looking to leave, uh, but yeah, sabbatical was 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 great. Um, but that's a different topic. Um, hmm. I don't know. I guess what's coming to mind just maybe wasn't the most recent thing, but you know, as someone who grew up in uh, the church and in a re- religious family, conservative Christian family, um, there were a lot of things that needed to be rethought and and chewed on and thought differently about, but one that was a big one in my own journey was how I view scripture. And, you know, I think, you know, you're sort of handed this view of not questioning the Bible and the Bible is the word of God. And it is, you know, you can trust it in everything it says. You can find all your answers to all your questions about spiritual things in there. And, um, and so for me, like, beginning to, and partly my experience in seminary helped, uh, and certainly before that, but seminary certainly blew it wide open in terms of, you know, reading any kind of biblical scholarship and realizing, oh, there's a lot of cracks in those views. You know, there's a lot of things in scripture that disagree with each other. There are, um, things you say that cracks, just... I say chasms. <laughs> There are things, you know, that the gospel writers say that all can't be the case about events that happened during Jesus' life. There's, you know, vastly different ways of presenting Jesus in the synoptic gospels versus the gospel of John. Um, There's who wrote what, you know, there was this naive view that, well, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Well, obviously we know that's not true, but when you've been taught that since you were a child, And then you realize, oh, they were written at these different points of Israel's journey much later, like when they're in captivity in Babylon. It's like, what? No way. I thought Moses wrote this, you know, a millennium earlier. Well, no. And so anyway, all of those things began. Not to to mention, did Moses even exist in the first place? But that's that's another level. (laughs) Well, all right. All right. So, yeah, there are a lot of questions, right, about the historicity of a number of things. And so it just really, that's a lot to grapple with when the bible has been the foundation of your faith and when you, when the nature of that thing changes you go through a lot of internal wow okay what now and and well what is the bible then and and what is god and how do i understand these things and and so that just has ta- has been a continuous journey of evolution but i'll cut to the chase in that you know i I find the voice of God in scripture, but I also find the voice of God beyond scripture. And I also think we can find things that are directly wrong and opposite of the voice of God in scripture. So there's work to be done, uh, you know, when we deal with the Bible or any religious text. And I think that's good. And as Ogan was just saying, we need critical thinking in the church about all these things. Do you talk about that view of scripture in your church? You're, you are currently a pastor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, I pastor a UCC church, United Church of Christ in Holland. Um, and yeah, I do. And just this past Sunday, I was talking about how I was reading a parable uh, that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke gives it this preface that this is a parable Jesus told about how we should always pray and not give up. And I said, he's actually making a different point than Jesus is. He's actually distracting us from the point Jesus is making in this parable. Um, and so then you're sort of like figuring out, okay, what did the later gospel writer add of their own sort of experience and their own framing of 
you know, their, their experience of Jesus and they're writing decades later. And so mm-hmm. even some evolution has happened at that point. And I think we can't be afraid of that. Right. Right. I remember my in college, my mind being blown when I learned about that each of the gospel writers had kind of an intended audience and that they were writing to that intended audience. Yeah. I was like, what? I remember like asking my prof being like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm the intended audience, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is that, did they really, did their audience really affect how they wrote? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and those things to me are, are uh, exciting and inviting because it just means mm-hmm. there's so much more to learn and there's so much more history and context and nuance and well, we haven't exhausted it. It's oh, exciting, yeah. exciting and inviting now. But when we first came across it, especially oh, yeah. when we were like diehard, you know, traditionalists and evangelicals, just, it was scary as all get out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right? it, it's crisis inducing if you're not prepared for yes. that. Yes. Mm-hmm. But as I like to say, if you've not had at least two spiritual crises in your lifetime, you're not you're not doing it right. There you go. There you yeah. go. I like there's, that. Because you know, there's no critical thinking engaged here. Because because something needs at some point something's going to get upended, and and if it's not, but you're then, not supposed to think critically in church. That's the whole idea: is you're handed beliefs, right? And that's the end of the story. And that and that's and that's the end of the story. All right. So, so and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead Mark. No, no, I was just going along on the seg- on the bit. Seg- segue. Brian, segue. All right, all right. So, so I was going to say, <laughs> speaking of thinking, we have an interesting quote from the modern day mystic. Eckhart Tolle, or is it Tolle? Tolle. Tolle. Touche. Tolle. Okay. Tolle. There you go. (laughs) And and he writes, the primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but your thoughts about it. Be aware of the thoughts you are thinking. Separate them from the situation, which is always neutral, which always is as it is. So I just want us to unpack that. Do you agree with that? Would you add an asterisk or would you flat out disagree? So this is the author of The Power of Now, right? Yes, correct. Okay. I read that book and I did not like it. I, 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 I appreciated some elements of it. This isn't answering the question, but this is more how I feel. Yeah, which is, which is answering the question. Okay. All, all feelings are welcome. What did, and, I'm curious, what didn't you like about it? Yeah, so I finally figured it out because I was like, what bothers me about this? Like, I because I couldn't put my finger on it. And I realized he was using the same, ironically, the same logic as some far right evangelical slash fundamentalist preachers, teachers were using in that if you're not getting it, it's because you're not enlightened enough. You don't, you just don't believe, you don't believe in it. If you would believe in it, if you kind of buy into this way of thinking, then it will all make sense. So mm-hmm. again, it's kind of bypassing the critical thinking. Um, mm-hmm. Cause he would, he would, he wrote it in like question answer kind of format. And he would ask a question and be like, right. Oh, well, you're asking this question because you're not opening your mind to the possibility of this existing. And I'm like, that's the exact same logic that like conservative evangelicals use. And so it was just like, you know, it's a very different um, kind of message that is being preached, but it's still this like, oh, well, you're not opening yourself up to it. And I read on these and I saw this um, kind of reaction to it and the comments were all like, ah, you just don't get it. And I'm like, (laughs) that's the point. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Wow. I like that. I mean, I'll just briefly say, you know, I, yeah, I, there were parts of it I liked about being present to the present moment. Like that's a, mm-hmm. that's simply a powerful sure. thing, right? But then he goes yes. off, yes, as you were saying on these things that you're like, how does that make sense? And does that even make sense? And then being told, well, you just need to trust that it is mm-hmm. versus a better explanation leaves you a little dissatisfied, a little bit like this quote. Um, but what, what about you, Ogan? Um, I am I am down for this quote. Um, for I, me, I so. for me, it's uh, you know it comes back to the meaning making. We're meaning making machines. Yeah. And um, and I always say the me- the meaning of anything is what you give to it. Now I say that with a little asterisk as to say 
um, you know, something will happen and it will, it will evoke feelings in us, right? And often the reason those feelings are evoked are, are very uh, unconscious, but then they're also very, for lack of a better term, a natural response. Like someone, someone you love leaves or dies, you, you feel sad, you feel the loss, you feel the grief. That's a, that's a natural response to it. And at the same time, um, how you, um, some people will assign further meaning to that um, as in I am being punished for something or because I did this bad thing years ago and now I'm being punished or, you know, some people based on whether it's their theological construct or their just, you know, philosophy of life construct will attach meaning to things. Um, you know, we talk about, read the Bible and we talk about signs and wonders. This thing happened Therefore, it's a sign from God or it's a message from God. And again, it's it's the meaning of anything is what we assign to it. And it also helps dictate our response to it as well. So so I am I I, I like the saying, if for no other reason, then it gives us, it invites us to pause, right? When something happens and and the the uh, the unconscious is stirred and our amygdala kicks in and and we want to react. Um, it gives us cause to to pause and say, okay, I'm feeling all these things that are going on right now, but what meaning am I going to attach to this event in my life that's happening? And therefore, how might I respond? Um, not from just a reactive place, but you know, to bring that back to what we're talking about, a more critical thinking place. Um, as well. So, so I, I like, I'm not the, the neutrality of things is, is also where I take a little bit issue um, because, you know, there, there are people who do things with an intent for harm <laughs> uh, to be clear. So I don't know that necessarily all events are neutral, but I can interpret them neutrally as in be, say, let someone does something with intent to harm me doesn't mean that I necessarily have to respond respond equally with an intent to do harm. So so I can I can break that cycle, which again means I have to pause and uh, not necessarily assign the this was meant for harm, therefore I need to return harm or I need to, mm -hmm. you know, defend myself or, you know, depending on the situation. So again, I think this is a statement that just reminds us, as you point out, Brian, to be to be in the present moment. Um, as opposed to being triggered by past events, or um, another another uh, teacher, Tara Brock, who I love, she talks about fear being the anticipation of future pain. So a lot of times things happen and we fast forward to the future. Uh, this is what's going to cause me a lot of pain and suffering. So let me do my best to avoid it. But it's not necessarily true. Even that future view is paid based on past um, yeah. feelings and occurrences. So back to the present. Yeah. So I hear you. I, I mean, I, I think there is something here that's, that's onto something and, and there's truth in it, but I feel like what it, it can be misused to sort of blame people or, or like blame the victim almost like, well, your home was just destroyed by hurricane Ian. Well, you're just, you just need to have a better attitude about that what like that is a total that's like nonsense like that's that's just like abusing people who are already in a terrible situation uh now could you you know can you open your mind to think about well okay this happened and it sucks and are there you know we have to go forward from here so can i open my mind to think about what those things might be sure of course but you can't just say to someone well the thing itself is neutral suck it up and right. feel better about it in in unity and new thought circles we call that metaphysical malpractice which is using the using this teaching to 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 kind of um bypass over empathy and and compassion right. um and and not not meeting the person where they're at because they had this this thing happen to them that is really evoking and a deep emotional response right um you know so yeah. so so the principle applies but delivery and timing is everything yeah what and do you think Mariah, we forget to this quote 
Yeah, from from a pastoral perspective, this can come across as a bit dismissive when people are in it, when they are actively unhappy. This is something I think that comes with the privilege of like uh, uh, looking back on a situation and being like, oh, okay, I mm. I maybe made that worse because of my interpretation of of the situation. Um, yeah, I think it. I, yeah, I think there's just some privilege in here of of separating your thoughts from the situation. Yeah, like you were saying, if your nervous system is activated, you know, there's many steps that need to be taken before you can kind mm. of distance yourself from that. And I'm stuck on the like that each thing that happens is neutral. Mm. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like I do think that we come up with our own categories of what is good and what is bad. I mean, that's the whole point of my podcast. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know if I'd be ready to say that everything is neutral or that's not a helpful, again, pastorally, that's not a helpful thing to say when people are like in the junk, you know, I, I'm oh, a firm sorry. believer. I'm a firm believer in feeling what you're feeling and whatever you're feeling, it's not bad. It's likely very appropriate for the, the situation. I don't think you're going to make everything worse by grieving whatever you're experiencing yeah. in the moment. Um, maybe later you can do kind of some of this healing work, but not in the moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Back, back, back to the, back to the timing of everything. Um, and um, for, for me, sometimes it, it, again, based on who the person is and what the situation is, I, I do think sometimes in the moment it calls for a reminder like, like this you know, because sometimes people are in a hurry to to blame God or blame another. Why did why did God let this happen to me? Mm. And sometimes in in the throes of the moment, it it has been beneficial to remind people, you know, God is not the source of your suffering. Um, not and and yeah, not, and you can not, say that without also saying this thing is neutral. This horrific thing is neutral. Like you wouldn't say, oh, your right. family died in a prison camp in, you know in germany well that's a neutral event right mm. exactly exactly and 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 part of the, to to mariah's point in the you know sort of the the looking back then how much how much do we allow things that happen in our life to continue influencing how we show mm. up in life right yeah. so how long do we hold on to the suffering how long do oh, we yeah. hold on to the unforgiveness uh all those sort of things and and the plus side though of being able i think the plus side of the neutrality of things is then if or the and the and the flip side of the everything is the meaning of anything is what we give to it is that then we can assign a more positive uplifting um even spiritual spiritually uplifting meaning to an occurrence in our lives that can help us move yeah. through it, can help us get to a place of peace with it, place of forgiveness, a place of grace. So, but as we've been saying, the, the, the timing is everything. Yeah. And right. And I think a huge asterisk has to come along with it. Like the, I, I agree there are times where this could be very good, helpful, appropriate, and other places where it just isn't. Yes. Yeah. All right, I want to get to this one, um, this quote, uh, author and pastor Lillian Daniel in her book, When Spiritual But Not Religious is Not Enough, Seeing God in Surprising Places, Even the Church. That's quite a long book title, but there you have it. She says, being privately spiritual but not religious just doesn't interest me. There's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself. What is interesting is doing this work in community where other people might call you on stuff or heaven forbid, disagree with you. When life with God gets rich and provocative is when you dig deeply into a tradition that you did not invent all for yourself. So she's pushing back on this idea that maybe, you know, maybe the church has passed its time, right? That, that people we've grown up and, and we don't need uh, church in terms of the traditions and community and all of that. And she's pushing back and saying there still is a place for what can happen uniquely in a faith community that that's harder to encounter on a solo spiritual journey. So wondering, is she overstating it? Do you agree? What do you think? 
Maybe guest first. Oh. Guest first. <clears throat> okay. Um, let me rein in my thoughts. I have many, <laughs> I have many thoughts. Um, I am not in the camp that religion or um, structure to a religion automatically makes it bad. Like I'm spiritual, but not religious because there's structure to religion. I mean, I'm part of a church. So I'm part of the institution, you know, and I don't think that that is speaking of like neutral. I don't think that is inherently bad. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on what your goal is with spirituality. Like if your end goal with spirituality is to connect with something greater than yourself, I think you can do that outside of community. I think you can do that in nature. I think you could connect with your inner spiritual life. Um, I think that connecting with community is a helpful way of connecting with something greater than yourself. And I do think it's healthy to um, bounce ideas and thoughts off of one another. Um, I don't think you need to do that because that's what makes it more interesting. Like she said, there's an, it's not what's interesting is doing the work. And, like it, your spiritual life doesn't need to be interesting. Um, yeah. I think it but might, it, but it helps. To, <laughs> sure. I mean, I think it might lead to something deeper perhaps, but you can find community and, and even spiritual community outside of your traditional spiritual institutions. You can absolutely find church with deep, rich friendships that you talk about spiritual things. Um, I don't know. Sometimes most spiritual moments are when I'm sitting outside with my chickens and there just appreciating nature and yeah. how weird chickens are, how they're little dinosaurs. And then I'm like, all of a sudden I'm going super existential and I'm like, I'm on a floating rock in space and there were dinosaurs and what is this world? And you know, that's rich and interesting to me, but I'm not like in the church pew. And sometimes church institutions are not the greatest facilitators of community. So just going to put that's that out there. All fair. All fair. That's well said. What do you think, Ogan? I think the, when she says there's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself, clearly someone who's never really gotten high because, <laughs> because <laughs> trust, trust me, deep thoughts can be very challenging can be very challenging at that point. But also there's this implication, I think, along what Mariah is saying, that, that uh, the privately, being privately spiritual but not religious, there's an implication that there aren't, they, they aren't non-religious spiritual communities. And they are non-religious mm -hmm. spiritual communities. So it's, it's um, but, a but, narrow niche. But they are. I mean, I mean... When so we, how are you to wait? How are you defining religious then versus? So this is this is what I was gonna get to because it almost seems for her, um, as long as there's community, it's religious. If there's not community, it's just spiritual, mm -hmm. right? So um, I will. I'll, I'll. This is where this is where I'm pushing back. And again. I don't know if she would say that if we were talking with her here, but it's right. She seems to imply so in this. That's book. what she seems. Right. She seems to imply that. And, um, you know, there there is a lot of spiritual spaces that. Um, so, for example, Brian, I met you when we were doing a pub theology gathering in yeah. D.C. all those years ago. Yeah. Right. I don't know if I would describe that as a religious gathering, <laughs> um, but. But right, so so well, it wasn't a church. Thing, it wasn't per se, church. right? We're, we're gathering to talk about spiritual stuff, religious stuff, but other stuff right. too. But before we showed up to that space, right? I mean, before we ever show up to any of those spaces, we have to have our own thoughts. And I think her point is around: um, can we have those? Can we? Is it? Is it beneficial to have those thoughts and never share those thoughts, right? Can we can we uh, keep them to ourselves? Can we just um, engage in a monastic tradition where it's like I'm just going to sit with these? And for me, it's not a it's not an either or. It's a both end. I think there needs to be space for both of those. I think if someone does want to go off by themselves and be in those deep thoughts, they should be able to. Yeah, there's a rich tradition of that in the church and in other religious traditions. 
Yeah, I mean, in the Bible, how many times did people disappear, right? I mean, mm. I mean, that was that was Jesus's thing. Let me show up in the town, stir some shit up, and then vanish from their midst for forty days. <laughs> Just took off, right? There was there was a there was a lot of deep thoughts by himself, right? Arguably, well, but arguably, he was in he wasn't alone. Community of the Trinity. Let's get back to previous episodes here. Oh, do we do well, we, I was gonna say the accuser, we, the accuser was keeping him, him company in the wilderness. Also, that was so so that okay, great. Was it was it the accuser or was it or was it or was it just speaking him, of himself and his deep thoughts? <laughs> I just saw an Instagram post that said, God is not two guys and a bird. <laughs> it made me laugh. It made me laugh. <laughs> That's good. I think I need that on a mug or something. <laughs> oh man. And, and it's like a blue picture of, you know, two cutout men, like you might see oh, yeah. like in a bathroom, you know, sign oh, yeah. and then a little bird cut out. It was hilarious. That's good. I like that. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, so, right. I, th- I think what she's trying to do in, in this book and in this quote is, is to say to people, yes, the church, often has has sucked it's got its shortcomings a lot of people have been hurt in very real ways by the church but let's not be so quick to write it off because there are things that can happen in the collective that are powerful that can shape us spiritually that can change yeah. our world for the good and let's not let's not write it off i guess is what i think what she's trying to do yeah and i agree with that but I also agree with everything that you both said that we can individually have incredibly powerful spiritual experiences. And some of my most powerful ones have come in nature or on a hike or, you know, a long walk when I'm by myself, like sometimes that's like, that's when a breakthrough comes. And then yes, you want to process some of that in community, you know, and maybe wrestle through some of the implications with others, but the experience itself often can happen in that individual moment. Mm-hmm. And it also depends on your community. Is your community a place that encourages uh, uh, oppositional discourse or seemingly oppositional discourse? Right. Is your community is a place that encourages you to share your deep thoughts that might go against the norms and status quo? Um, you know, and so so there's there's a piece of that too because that's that's not that's not necessarily how all communities you know, encourage, encourage their people to be. Fair point. Fair point. All right. So briefly, before we end here, we're going to hit on this uh, ritual, which I learned about that happens by uh, the Malagasy people in Madagascar. Apologies that I'm probably mispronouncing that. Something called Famidahana or Day of the Dead. And this ritual involves opening up family crypts and taking out the remains of dead ancestors who are then wrapped in new cloth music dance and sometimes even animal sacrifice are part of this festival which is also known as dancing with the dead the idea is that this allows new family members to meet their ancestors allowing memories to be shared and uh, not forgotten so i just thought that's really interesting like that just struck me as really interesting. I lo- the part I like about it is staying connected to those who have gone before us and wondering, you know, it might be a lot to say, let's try this in our own communities, but what what are ways that maybe we could do better at honoring ancestors and keeping their memories alive? I love everything about this. <laughs> Every, everything. I think we should practice it here. He's on board. I'm I'm on board because because you know we in the in in Western culture writ large we still have this very unhealthy relationship to death right yeah. death is mm-hmm. not only is death itself a bad thing but we're in a hurry to move on from the deceased I mean yeah. at the physical level we do our I mean someone dies what do we do we pump them full of chemicals to retain them looking as quote unquote when when they were alive. Right. Um, there's a there's a there's a distance and a distaste from our dead. We don't we don't have a lot of um, rituals where where people come in and are physically with 
the dead body to to say goodbye to it and and then touch it and kiss it and clean it and so 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 there's this there's this yeah there's this distance in um and i i think that if there's a more of embracing of the dead at the purely physical level as well there's um i i i it's, it's a cohesive, it's a bonding experience. So I am absolutely here for it. And over time, you know, if this is, if this is a norm ritual, then children are growing up with a much healthier relationship with death and dying, um, I believe, than before. And to your point, Brian, the, the <laughs> stories around who these people were and, and the legacy they've passed on are much more intentional. Uh, I'm not, I do have a lot of questions about the remains. Like (laughs) what, right? Because I mean, there's always gonna be a decay even at the bone level. So like how how long are we wrapping these remains, rewrapping these remains? Is there a point when the remains are too far gone, Mm. I guess, to do something with them? I have lots of questions, but but I'm here for it. You're, <laughs> you're on board. Yeah. What, what did you think when you, when you heard about this, Mariah? Yeah, I kind of agree. I'm kind of on board as well. Um, I definitely think that we have sanitized death to a, uh, yeah, to our own detriment. I don't think it, it helps us grieve. Um, we have also turned death into like a capitalistic opportunity do you know how much, yes. well, you all know, you're pastors, but caskets are so oh. expensive. Like Absurd. the whole, sorry to anyone in the funeral industry, but it feels extremely exploitative. <clears throat> um, it, and it, it so like literally being more in touch with our family members and with the grieving process, um, I think could be really, really powerful. I mean, think about like the funerals that have actually mattered to you. For me, it's been the ones where I have buried my own pets in the backyard and my hands are sore with calluses because I have dug up the grave and I have laid my precious pet to rest because I am involved in the process of laying them to rest. Yeah. Um, you know, we just allow other people to like literally wrap up our loved one and take care of it, inject them with a ton of chemicals and like, yeah, I'm, I am for these kind of practices that allow us to go back into the earth and biodegrade the way we're supposed to so that we can become nutrients for new growth. Another good um, point. Yeah. Speaking of like resurrection and, mm. you know, I mean, that's that's how I think that's really beautiful. And I wish we could get um, to practice uh, death rituals that are more environmentally friendly, which then in turn, I think will help us with our own with our own grief. I want to be a tree. I don't want to be in yes. a, in a, in a, um, in a coffin. In a metal <laughs> like lined a, something. Yeah, in a that cement makes me, case. No, thank you. I want to go back into the earth. I want worms to eat me. I want chickens to eat the worms. I want, you know, like I want to be part of creation again. I just read this interesting factoid that if you, if you like have a grove of trees and they're pretty much like all, the leaves are all like the same colors, except for maybe one random tree. There was like, the leaves are like really darker that it's quite possible that a body was buried under, under the tree. Just, throwing, just, just throwing that out there. Um, but yes, me too. I, I used to, I used to be on the cremation bandwagon, um, you know, cremate me, scatter my ashes in the Caribbean sea somewhere. But now I'm really like, you know, wrap me in a shroud, dig a hole in the ground and, mm-hmm. and, and put a sapling on top of me. Um, I think, Which is maybe illegal. Is that illegal? No, I mean, forgive me. I'm not saying you shouldn't forgive. do it because it's <laughs> illegal. I'm just saying like, are there cultural practices and practices in place that keep I, us from doing that kind of thing? Um, that's a good question. I don't some, actually yes, know. Some, some places, some places that is illegal and some places, even when it is illegal, you still have to apply for permit uh, to do it. And they're specified. Which feels like, 
Me just too. part of capitalism and consumerism it, it that you have to go through these. It, it does. It, it does. But that's when the authorities show up and say, show us where the bodies are buried. Just where the bodies were. You're uh, like wiping off your hands. Like what bodies? <laughs> like hiding your shovel. So oh, true, true, true here. story. True story. When my, when my dad uh, died earlier this year and we were at the funeral home discussing, you know, arrangements, um, they have these, they have these packages where they, can you know scatter the ashes at sea and it's like a whole rent a boat thing it was surprisingly expensive not surprisingly but surprisingly expensive and so so i go like well i mean we could just do the at sea scattering ourselves i know somebody mm-hmm. with a boat we'll just do it ourselves right so apparently but apparently that's illegal apparently what apparently disposing of human remains in the ocean like that is technically illegal um and, and only certain only certain um, um parties i.e funeral homes can make the arrangements uh for this to happen so they were like but to their credit they were like they were like if that's what you're going to do we don't want to know about it yeah exactly <laughs> our Wash our story our ends with us handing you the ashes and what you do after that we don't we don't want to know why uh, are you, know. you in jail well i let grandma <laughs> to rest in the ocean <sighs> well you know we 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 did we did do some uh we did do some island scattering um after the fact um at i didn't hear locations. anything don't tell me i don't want to be <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> You don't want to be implicit, implied, yeah. implicated, implicated. What's that called? Yeah, there's a word for that. Implicated. What about Brian? You didn't answer yet. What do you what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I like this for the same reasons you guys do. Uh, I think we are so disconnected from death and dying in our culture. I mean, you guys have said it all so well, and I just affirm what you've said and and think that it's our loss that we're not more connected and and don't have more ways to connect to those who have gone before us whether it's you know immediate people that we've known who have died that we had a you know living relationship with or even those who died before us some you know a generation or two before us or longer like we get so disconnected and it's it's easier to move forward than to look back sometimes and so i think ways to um, connect to our roots and our deeper memories um, are super important. And part of it, though, isn't this part of this is protecting the we quote unquote protecting the legacy of people. So you know, for example, uh, again, my grandmother died a few years ago. I only recently found out through some through again the story shared. <laughs> she really wasn't a nice person. <laughs> Right. But I, but I have this, I have this image called to be bad. <laughs> I have this image, this idealized image of who she was a lot of it based mm-hmm. on my childhood interactions with her, but apparently she wasn't. And, and there's this piece of me that like, was I better off not knowing that? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I wouldn't have minded holding on to the, like the idealized image of who she was from my childhood. Now I got right. a lot of unresolved questions and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, no, I, I say that I, I, I love being in that situation of questioning everything we thought that was certain. And at the same time, she's my grandma. Like, I, I want my granny to be my granny. <laughs> what, I hear what and now here. she's a real human being who is complicated. <laughs> yeah. I think what I like about this, like just calling it dancing with the dead, like it's so physical. It's so mm. embodied. Like there's a difference between like doing a genogram where you trace family trees and family patterns and hearing stories of your ancestors. There's a difference between that and like actually touching the physical remains of your ancestors and digging them up and wrapping them in cloth and dancing like that's so embodied and so rich and and we don't so i i like that element and it brings it. joy we don't associate yeah. joy with death yes yeah like it's a party yeah, yeah. it seems like a party there's dancing now, there's now, eating. now i'm having like weekend with bernie scenes in my <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i don't think is what they have in mind but uh i don't think it what's, is either. what's the movie about the disney movie oh my gosh Oh, Everyone's yes. gonna be be yes. screaming it. What's it called? I know exactly the one you mean. Oh, oh, oh. Wait, uh, yeah, we all have a mental blanks right now. Um Day of the Dead Disney. 
Here we go. Real, real, yeah. real time Googling. Google. Come on. <laughs> oh, come on. Ah, Disney movie. Come on. Everyone's screaming it at us. Coco. Yeah. Coco. That's that is right. Such a good movie. So good. Have you, if you haven't seen Coco, go yeah. watch Coco. Go see it. Go and bring see the it. tissues. Yeah. I think yeah. that brings us to our to our end of this episode, but want to again say, Mariah, what a delight to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. I could do this all day. It is. And, it's been a lot of fun. And please and, check out Mariah's podcast, Called to be Bad, on wherever you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs> in. And I want to say thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to pre and post show banter and more. Visit patreon.com slash PT live to get started. And of course, a big thank you to our current patrons. You can listen to this show uh, anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google podcasts and more. Our top three cities tuning in this week, Miami, Florida, Monroe, Louisiana, and Charlotte, North Carolina. So thank you for listening wherever you tune in from. You can watch us live on Tuesdays on Facebook around 1 p.m. Eastern. And if you'd like to find or start a pub theology in your town, learn more at pubtheology.com. And until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. What a... What a blast. Thanks so much for, for joining us and spending yeah. some time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really great. Um, so so finding out about my grandmother being mean. So mm-hmm. apparently apparently. Uh-oh. So like we're going on like five years since she passed away, and my grandfather passed away a few months before her. And apparently so they've got they've got five kids, right? Apparently, my grandmother only wanted to leave stuff for two of them. Her two oh. favorites.